0: Opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk podcast network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. If there's something I've always wanted to do since bringing back the roundtable over the last few years... It's a hear from former regulars from our version one era. Of course, it would have been nice to have them return for regular roundtables. But failing that, it would be nice to have them come on for a one-on-one in a sort of fireside chat, as James often likes to put it, when it's just me and him shooting in the breeze. If there has been a bright side with the pandemic for the anime roundtable, It has both necessitated and facilitated the remote episodes that have been long needed and awaited for. And now, it has facilitated a chance to catch up with old friends one-on-one. This is a new segment I'd like to call the Space Heater Chats. Because we can't afford a fireplace. Because we're poor. Please, sir. I want some more. And who better to begin our new segment with than with getting the chance to talk with someone we have yet to hear from in the version 2 era. Angela Jordan first appeared on the Anime Roundtable way back on November 6, 2006, which was episode 6 of the version 1 era. Over the run of version 1, we got her view as a fine arts major And talked at length about her experiences in Japan and the culture shock going to and coming back from there. In the purgatory years, she has gotten married, which I know we alluded to back then. She has found employment as a senior artist with a video game developer. And she has in her spare time developed a comic book, which is currently on Kickstarter and has already surpassed its goal. Although, of course, we're here to get her more pledges as well as catch up. Angela O'Hara becomes the first woman to appear in the version two era and joins us now from her home in London, which is a little over an hour west of Toronto. And I'll say it again. Hello, old friend. Second, congratulations on the Kickstarter.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. The Kickstarter was just absolutely insane. I set a pledge amount for um, 1200 Canadian dollars and I met that in 23 minutes, which just, it was just beyond my wildest dreams. So
0: as we are taping this, the Kickstarter presently stands at just over 5400 And according to my feed, Neil Sinclair is a backer as well. <laughs> oh, so.
1: that's so nice.
0: Uh, the rest of the gang knows about it. James specifically says hello.
1: Oh, hello, James. Did say
0: that. Hi, everybody. And he will—he will, he will uh, donate or pledge before it's all said and done. Trust me. Thank you. He did promise that, and uh, I'll hold him to it. <laughs> if even if I have to drive there, which we ha which I haven't seen him face to face since the pandemic. Which, okay, let's talk quickly about that. Yeah. How have you spent the pandemic?
1: Well, I was actually quite fortunate working for a game development company, and my husband works in IT. So both of our jobs were jobs that we could just very easily pick up our work computers, take them home, and then just get set up in a home office. So I just feel incredibly fortunate that we were just able to continue working with no interruption or anything like that. And actually, it was kind of my dream uh, to work from home. (laughs) <laughs> anyways. So it actually worked out pretty ideal, I would say. I just love like not having to commute. I love being home with my family, with my dog and just being in my own space is really nice. So yeah, I and on the business side, like the game development company has seen no uh, like negative effects of people working remotely. It's a shocker, but people can work remotely and just as well as in the office. And like, I know that there's a lot of kind of stigma in the past about um, not being able to see the people you're working with and worrying that people won't put in the time if if they're not being supervised, but that's not the case at all. So it's just been working really smoothly.
0: I guess there's a degree of accountability among the group.
1: Yeah, and trust oh, goes a long that's way. A so. That's a
0: bigger one. That's even a better word, I think. I will say personally for myself, it's strange. In my entire circle of friends and immediate family, I think I'm the only person temporarily out of work. Oh. So my sisters are able to work from home remotely. I have my best friend. He works in construction and is constantly moving around different different sites. Some cousins work retail. The others, the others on the round table, they've worked remotely from home too. So I, I feel kind of left out. Yeah, <laughs> I, no <laughs> kidding. That's a tough I, one. It's it's tough in some ways. It's been a blessing in others. I've had the chance to catch up on certain things. I've watched a little more than I thought I would have. Watched a little more anime, watched a little bit more. Netflix stuff, Japanese dramas, and reality shows. I've actually finished a video game. I've, I've mentioned to many of the listeners. I've been playing Yakuza Zero.
1: Oh, I've heard that's very, very good.
0: It's it's interesting, to say the least. Wonder you you wonder how it differs from the actual known Japanese culture around. That's <laughs> there's probably say... some artistic license but Ooh, I- i'm sure and i think the the creator knows that but the creator has also made some interesting statements in the in the recent past when it relates to ghosts of, of tsushima as well so he hmm. came out a couple of weeks ago making an interesting statement praising it and ghost of tsushima was not a japanese developed game so i thought and that we is acknowledge interesting. It. That's
1: probably like high praise for the developers of that game.
0: Mm-hmm, it is. And it's not as if the developers didn't have resources. I mean, it is a, uh, a Sony first party game, I believe. So it, they would have been able to lean on Sony's resources to get their research done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was interesting that a Japanese developer had high praise for a non-Japanese developed game, but is clearly set in Japan as well. Mm hmm. So I thought that was an interesting thing to say.
1: I consider myself pretty lucky that I planned a trip to Japan for two weeks in at, right at the end of 2018. It oh. was because I hadn't been back since moving back. Um, just for context, I after I graduated, I went and lived in Japan for a year and taught English with the the JET program. And then I came home and basically started my adult life at that point. <laughs> but it it took me ten years uh, to get back to Japan uh, for a vacation. It was something that was always on the list. But you know, obviously the the recession happened, and then just like trying to get established as a uh, working professional. So it did take a whole ten years. But I did manage to get back and see all like the beautiful sites again, all the places that I wanted to revisit. So any
0: any particular place
1: um, that sticks out? Yeah, like. Um, Kansai area um, Kyoto Osaka uh, Koya-san especially Um, when I went to when I lived in Japan last time around um, springtime I took a solo trip to that area
0: Mm. and
1: that was a really interesting experience traveling alone it was really good but it was really really good uh, bringing my husband with me this time and going to all the places that I had been 10 years prior like and just showing him everything and experiencing all of the changes that 10 years brings. So
0: those go without saying
1: it was just like, I just feel so grateful that I did that when I did considering the state of the world. I just, I just don't know when, when we'll be able to travel again, like we did before.
0: At some point, I guess we're all looking forward to it. I'll admit going out, I get the necessity of the mask. That doesn't mean it's not comfortable.
1: Yeah. So, oh, it's definitely like, not comfortable. I, I re-
0: certainly respect it, respect it. And I wouldn't make any issue of it because we've seen enough videos of people who have made an issue of it. But I, yeah. but that all said, it is, isn't the most comfortable thing to do.
1: So. No, it's not pleasant, but.
0: When you go, when you talk about seeing things change, For reference, I'll go back to Yakuza for a second. Yakuza takes place predominantly in one of two areas. A a fictionalized version of Kabuchiku, I think that's how it's pronounced, in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And a fictionalized version of Dotenbury in Osaka. Mm -hmm. So, and watching, like the first, Yakuza Zero takes place in 1988. So you see what these areas might have looked like in eight, in the late 80s and i see different versions of it now obviously like when i watch nhk world programming that's set in the exact same areas you see how much has changed in those 30 years
1: yeah and like japan in the 80s like what i wouldn't have what i would give to to be able to go to japan in the 80s with just how like the economy and everything it would have Mm -hmm. just been incredible but yeah like some of the main differences that i I noticed that were immediate um were technological differences just ease of getting around okay um the availability of like google street view um navigational tools uh not having to rely on a paper map to navigate um does make a huge difference especially (laughs) in tokyo um, well, and- yeah,
0: it's it <laughs> comes across as still a very complicating place to navigate.
1: Yes, we got lost, like never fully lost, but we got turned around quite a few times, even with having these new tools available to us. So like, I don't know how we operated 10 years ago. And then the other main change that I noticed was the um, amount and level of English in service industry, pretty much anywhere we went in Japan. Like, albeit we were going to very touristy areas, we we were definitely on the beaten path as far as the places that we were going. Um, but even so, just the availability and the quality of the English being spoken was like miles above what I experienced 10 years ago when I lived there.
0: There's a certain awareness there, I think. 10, ten years ago also was when NHK World made its debut and... They gear its programming towards international watchers, English speakers, foreign speakers, really, because they've evolved their programming in the last year to be able to put place subtitles at the very least of other languages. So they're taking on a bigger world view, uh, world awareness at the very least. And mind you, the lead up to the Olympics has probably played a little bit into that as well which I, which Unfortunately, is coming soon, which is coming soon i suppose yeah the poor olympics ugh that would have been interesting uh, yeah but we are where we are
1: yep that we just have to work with what we're given the world mm-hmm. that we're in
0: so yesterday before the taping of episode 23 i actually went back to listen to your interview with ken Gagne on polygamers yeah and I found much of it technical. It was a good, good discussion. Just don't get me wrong. There isn't much else I could really add to that or f- truly follow up on. Except maybe one line towards the very end. And he asked you about wanting to do comics again. And you said, you don't know, you'd like to, but you don't know how. And now we have this Kickstarter.
1: Yeah. I guess I figured out how, huh?
0: You did. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about the story behind making this. I know a bit of it through the video, but I want to hear it again in your in these words.
1: Yeah, so I, last year I was thinking about how I could challenge myself to do a, a large-scale creative project for the Inktober challenge. Mm-hmm. So Inktober is uh, a drawing challenge where you draw ink drawings digitally or traditionally during the month of October. You can do as many as you want. But my my challenge to myself was to do one drawing a day. So a series of 31 drawings. And I wanted those drawings to be around some kind of a theme, potentially a narrative theme. And so I started working on this, this story told in kind of 31 storybook style images of two princesses stealing a tiara and transporting it into a magical land and the consequences of that and their relationship. And as I was fleshing out the story, I realized that what was missing in the story was the dialogue. You couldn't hear their voices just from the drawings alone. And so at that point, like I kind of fell into making a comic in spite of myself because mm-hmm. I I needed these characters to breathe and live and like say their own words so at that point i pivoted it and ended up writing the whole script for it um and then i storyboarded like a couple months prior to the like the inktober challenge in october did all of the penciling and then i did only the inking in actually inktober because i couldn't just do the whole thing in one month that's insane because i'm also working full-time so yes yeah and then at the end of October. I had this 31-page story that I was really proud of, and the original plan was just to to kind of have it printed in black and white, like stapled uh, spine, and just like sell them for ten dollars or whatever. But I did a couple of um, like style tests on a few of the pages, trying a couple of different like coloring styles, and I was like, oh no, I I talked myself into doing a full fully hand painted comic. <laughs> so it's it's an idea that um exploded in scope considerably from the original idea i had planned for myself but it's also something that grew very naturally out of what i wanted to do which was to create something that came out of my heart and that was my own story and my own characters and something that i could point to and say like i made this like working in games as an artist isn't an incredible career and incredible opportunity but ultimately at the end of the day everything that you make is owned by the the company that you work for um and that's it's not a bad thing it's just how it is so making something for myself was just just amazing and i have no regrets even though it was an insane amount of work
0: (laughs) well i'm i'm awestruck yes and I, I think you were able to leverage some of your following already on twitter for this
1: yeah um I, was like, a bit I know you have a
0: couple like about 5000 followers or something on your yeah. twitter
1: yep i was a bit strategic a lot of my followers follow me for my world of warcraft fan art and uh fantasy art that falls into kind of that fantasy like magic category so i created a story that was about um a human and an elf both women uh, falling in love and uh going on this journey together. So I I definitely kept a lot of the War, the Warcraft influences and the a fantasy lot of the influences.
0: Yeah. stylistically. And
1: it's also very much a little bit anime. I think you can tell just based on the character designs that there's a lot of like anime manga. influence. Manga <laughs> anime
0: manga yeah. influence. So there's an appeal there as well.
1: Yeah. Like when I look at it, I feel like the style is very much western person who grew up on manga. Like <laughs> that, like, it just has a certain look that I can identify that like, oh, this, this is a person who grew up probably in a Western culture who loves anime or manga. There's just something about, about the style that communicates that.
0: Back to that self-awareness. <laughs> look, look, I've always believed that there's plenty of overlap between consumers and fans of vi- of video games and anime manga. Absolutely. So, so to be strategic in that sense, trust me, you're not the only person thinking that Sony's thinking that we yeah, said, everybody's thinking that, that. we said that in the last episode, we said that in a previous episode that they're going to love that Sony seems to be leveraging their business to appeal to appeal to, to the anime market now, but that's, that's in an an- another episode. I can tell you about that a little later on. Yeah. So any other titles that you, you would have wanted to point at? In terms of stylistic influence,
1: yeah, um, maybe World
0: of Warcraft. Yes,
1: World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft for sure. Um, there's also quite a bit of Utana, uh, Revolutionary Girl Utana, in <laughs> the core influences and in the character designs. So I'm not. So I always about.
0: knew you were a fan of that.
1: Yes. Oh, it's one of my longtime loves. So the the main character Georgina was designed around Utana as kind of uh, the icon. That I took as the original inspiration, and in that she's got like that hair with the like the bangs framing her face, like just big princess hair, and like a, a menswear princely inspired outfit.
0: <laughs> I um, remember it, that.
1: Yeah. So the reasons why my my character dons a princely outfit um, is di- is different from Utana, but um, and also like the the dynamic between the two main characters. Like the, the female friendship and love is, is different in my story, but I think that there's a base, a baseline that runs from Utena into yeah, my work
0: that's that if you're obvious. a fan of Utena, you can see. Like that, that certainly comes to mind, Utena. Yeah. I, I forgot the other character's name. That's the thing. It's been so long.
1: Um, in Utena? Yes. Uh, Anthe.
0: Yeah, that's right. It was Anthe.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, Memories start start to flood back because, remember, I, I, I met the creators of Utena. They came to Fan Expo around that time, in the late 90s. You did? So,
1: That's insane. Hmm?
0: Oh, I didn't tell you that story? Maybe. Have I told you that? It's been oh, 10 it's, years. Well, it's been 10 years since we really had the chance to talk. Yeah. But, yeah, in the, the, the second time there was anime programming at what's now known as Fan Expo, I believe it was 1998, they managed to get Kuniiko Ikuhara and Saito to come, the creators of Utena. And I was there just as a fan, but one of the people, one of the liaisons, who was a friend and involved in the local anime clubs in Toronto, just before a Q&A, pulled me aside saying, I need your help. Can you help me moderate this? Oh, wow. What an opportunity. And and he and basically, I I marshaled all the questions and added the interjections while he did the translation.
1: That's amazing. And
0: I made like obviously I I got in their, I got in their good books pretty quickly. I was there, I was just there because of you know my own helping out, just in really very much in the shadows. But that was the very first. Well, it, it's it's quite a story, and they were both very charming characters. Both both Ikuhara and Saito were very very charming to deal with. I I can tell you that off right off the bat. I I, the problem is I'm trying to remember if I have a picture from it. I I was looking through my stuff to see if any picture I would have had from that experience. But uh, if I find it, I'll let you know. That'd be
1: probably before digital. uh, Yes,
0: yes, because digital camera didn't come in until like a couple years after that. But it was, a, it was a real kick to have met them. Yeah. It was something know, like, that you'll 98? always remember. Yeah, something like that. Although, wait a second. I, I'm trying to remember it because, also, for some strange reason, I, I distinctly remember getting a DVD signed too.
1: Hmm. I think Utana came out something. in 97.
0: Because mm-hmm. I, I remember them signing something based on it as well. I think, but I, if if I got a detail wrong, it might have been the exact year, but that's what I remember of it.
1: Regardless, but, when the show was new and just came out,
0: mm-hmm. and it was a very hot, hot thing. I think one of the other things was they did the the it coincided with premiering the Uteno movie at the time. It it it, it had its official official north american or canadian premiere at the very least i was there i was there for that you were there for that
1: yeah yeah i was in the audience that was my first experience of utina it changed my life watching that movie
0: watching that movie and then you saw the tv series
1: yeah and then i got i got so into it after that that was my first experience seeing like um this like the animation style the music it was just iconic and just like uh like a lesbian kiss just happening, just in the Absolutely. movie, I was. It just blew my mind that like this, was, <laughs> this was possible.
0: It was. That was. It was very different from the television series because I, I've yeah. seen episodes of the TV series to that point, point. and then seeing the movie, it was different. Yeah. <laughs> but no. But I always had no issue with these type of adaptations because it was bold. You know, yeah, it's you know me. I always I always material. take I always take fascination with interpret with a- adaptations because they're an interpretation of the original material. And granted it might be somebody else's interpretation, but then you get to see what mattered to them and what they decide to keep in. Yeah, so, I feel
1: like the Utena movie is just like the Utena TV series with the volume dialed up to 11. Just like the character designs are just taken like that degree further the story is almost entirely metaphorical and nonsensical it's just like it's just all about the style and like and i'm here for it like i'm totally fine with it we have the tv show that that is very substantial and very goes very deep in terms of the characters so yeah the utena movie is like eating an entire cake all at once to watch it
0: <laughs> having your cake and eating it too as the saying yeah. goes well, but Utena, I, I remember you mentioning Rosa Versailles as a big influence.
1: Oh yeah, like after I finished Utena I needed more um and, and I got there was of Versailles, so I, yeah, I think... Yeah, there were
0: some very obvious parallels in terms of the in terms of the style.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure, like the the blonde flowing hair, the big blue eyes and like uh the story of a girl like growing up in a culture that uh is very restrictive and like breaking out of that and finding a way out, so
0: <laughs> well i'll I'll give another title that's a, a bit of a connection, and maybe we can talk about that for a couple seconds. The other claim to fame for Ikuhara-san, he was involved in the Sailor Moon television series. He was as Well yes, and I, I, we and this is where we can talk a little bit about recent anime news because we mentioned lat- on last night's show. That you know, Crave, the uh, Bell Media streaming service here, up here in Canada, picked up the Sailor Moon television series, the original one. So the five first five seasons, or the original five seasons of oh, the Sailor that, Moon TV series, that would series. be the
1: whole the whole thing, like five seasons, right?
0: Mm-hmm. It will premiere on, stream on Crave in, beginning in se- September. I forgot the exact date. It was in the press release. That all said, you can probably scrape around. I know to b TV. That service has a good chunk of the anime as well. But I thought you find that kind of a weird thing. We, we, we still talk about certain services when it comes to their, inter- their level of interest in things like anime. We talked about Crave missing out on the chance to add Studio Ghibli movies to their library because they had to deal with HBO Max to show their programming. And HBO Max in the States had the rights. So seemingly they could have gotten that, but it didn't go that way. And Netflix Canada ended up with Studio Ghibli, which I think more fans are happy about.
1: Yeah, I I was very surprised to see it on there. I didn't think we were going to get them at all.
0: Well, it's it's strange because... Okay, I'm going to relay this little story from my own observations. Miyazaki himself would have had to, I think, had a lot to do with agreeing or disagreeing. And he was always steadfast about putting putting a lot of Ghibli movies on streaming services. Actually, to this moment, Studio Ghibli films are not on any streaming service in Japan. It's one of six countries that don't have that. I think the rest of the the other five, or one of five countries now, Mm -hmm. Canada was number six. So the and the other four countries are countries like China, North Korea, Crimea and Syria. I think that's <laughs> the rest of the list. And then Japan's on that list. So you, you and so he didn't really know the concept. It's not necessarily he was against it. I think at times he didn't really know about the concept of streaming. But he was all, he was never really for it. So it so people were surprised when any sort of deal started coming out. I think the the HBO deal was mentioned first and then not too long after Netflix, the original batch of Netflix deals were mentioned.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And people were just plain surprised. But you start to get, it's a reminder of some, how protective Japanese tend to be of these properties. Plus, and I'm going to, put up an advertisement for it again. NHK World has this four-part documentary about about a filmmaker who hung around Miyazaki for 10 years from 2006 to 2016 and documented him initially in 2006 as he went about making Ponyo. And through that, you find out Miyazaki's a pretty grumpy character to deal with. Yeah, I don't know if I would want to work for him. Well, it isn't just that, but part. I've only watched part one, but it was very eye-opening because it documents him beginning to work on Ponyo, but it also documents around the time Tales of Earthsea came out, which is the directorial debut of his son, Goro. Mm-hmm. And through, through, the, through the documentary, we find out he and Goro don't have the most warm relationship. Matter of fact, you don't see them interact throughout the, in the documentary at all. He, and he acknowledged that he was an absent father. So you don't really see them, see any, anything warm and fuzzy between the two. Matter of fact, you don't really see anything too warm and fuzzy with Miyazaki and anybody. Yeah. Except at the very end of that first part when he, when he acknowledges the little girl. That's about it.
1: I feel like um what was interesting about that, because I I believe I watched the same documentary or something similar, it's just like the relentless pursuit of perfection comes at a cost. And
0: yes. it comes at a cost no matter who you are. I believe those might have been that might have been the ex- exact phrase, certainly the concept that came out in that first part. I have to watch the other three.
1: Yeah. Like now. as far as um the the games industry is an industry where you can work yourself absolutely into the ground. Yes. Um, different uh, companies are run in different ways as far as managing um, people's time respectfully to a greater or lesser extent. I'm lucky to work for a company that has been very respectful of my time. And it's something that I've passed on to the people who work under me as well that Like the expectation is only that you work during the business hours and that you need to rest and do your own thing with your own time. Culturally, like as a business culture, I think that's really important to me. And that's something that I, I try to model as well. I don't think that anybody, I don't think that it's worth destroying your health, losing the precious moments that you have with the people in your life while you have them in order to further your craft I think that there needs to be a balance in all things
0: yeah I, I can see that actually now that now that you made me think about it I, I come back to your polygamers interview two years ago and you talked a bit about managing various aspects of your of of working there and, and for reference I took a big interest about when, when you mentioned that you wore a brace of some sort when you slept yeah right <laughs> still did. In, in my in my job in my job before i was I was using my shoulders a lot, and for reference okay i don't I've never mentioned it before uh, on air, but I work in a in a casino, and I was a dealer up until recently so when I was dealing constant repetitive motion and it started to take a toll on my right shoulder actually after a year i after a year, all that motion it started to Take a, a big toll, and I actually dreaded getting the blackjack assignments on a daily basis because I know it would mess up my right shoulder. And I learned pretty quickly that that's a common hazard for in the casino industry for dealers. It's so, funny
1: i um I when I talked to my doctor about it, um she said that I don't think she's ever had an artist patient before, but she said that it's a common injury in hairdressers as well and it all comes down to having to hold your hands in that specific position for 8 hours
0: 10 That's, hours a day and it's a very yeah specific position in the same spot making the same motions over and over again over and over again which i which i which i did so and just for reference uh, to the listeners uh, i don't do that anymore because i became a supervisor w- w- among dealers and congratulations to you and 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 i can feel and having done that i can and now being off for six months i can feel some relief i can feel the the change that my uh, shoulder doesn't feel nearly as bad if at all anymore
1: that's great for myself i um take regular breaks um just like stand up move around do drawing like um stretch exercises for my hands and my wrists, try to maintain as comfortable a posture mm-hmm. as possible and sleep with a night brace on. It really does help. Um, the other thing that helped is uh, I was also promoted um, to a lead position um, in January. So my my job as it is currently is less drawing and more manager type tasks. So it's a bit of a, just having the, a bit of that Balance in the mix has meant that I don't have the same level of injury popping there's
0: up. A, there's so. a bit of relief in that. I I I can sense. Yeah. Like, as I said, I can relate through my own position.
1: Yeah, on a number of levels. But mm-hmm. something that like I'm always like looking out for if any bit of pain means that you need to stop. <laughs> um,
0: That's because it's only going to
1: get worse if you try to push through it.
0: Oh yeah. Well, as I said, in 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 casino cultures, just for reference. A dealer is probably tapped off roughly once an hour for a twenty-minute period, just to just to recover a little bit before they they have to get back at it.
1: Wow, that sounds intense.
0: It can be. It can be. I mean, there's more ins and outs, but I'll leave that for when we really are talking around a fire a fireplace. Okay. You know what? I'm looking through my notes here, and there's this note that says archiving for porting. I remember. I, I think this came up in the Polygamers interview about
1: related about to end, end of life for oh uh, end of flash. life
0: yes flash yeah. and then keeping archiving for archiving your archiving the original data for porting because porting is not easy so you have to be able to keep as much as you could I guess yeah, yeah it caught my attention that that's on that's in the line that caught my attention from the interview
1: it's interesting. Um, just like digital media is so reliant on the the technology that it comes from like there like there's video files that i had on old computers like like mu- anime music videos and stuff that, that they don't play nowadays because the the codex technology or whatever the video technology has changed so much <laughs> and like it's the same with, with games where especially with this this huge deadline coming up like the end of Flash at the end of this year is a pretty big one, and it's going to affect the ability of a lot of people to play any old Flash games. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I, I take I took the archiving line another like that's fascinating in of itself. I mean, you were talking about the end of Flash, and it's inevitable. I mean, we're we're starting to see it now, even more so. Absolutely, it, but but we the writing was on the wall almost a decade ago. It's just that now now it's about to happen. The archiving line I took some fascination in, if only because there was this 15 minute documentary about the creation of Pac-Man I saw. And I think it's still up. So remind me, I can send you the link and maybe I'll put it up. And The documentary started with them going through the original concept drawings, basically the archive of the development. So there's archiving for future use, but it's also archiving to me for a degree of historical reference, Mm -hmm. which I found, and I guess the historical side, I found a little bit more fascinating.
1: Yeah. Like flash games, I would say is pretty widely considered to be a low art form. It's not... Like now and in the past, it's not like a prestige media. It is the low art forms, the popular art forms that often don't get preserved hmm. when we move forward into new eras. So it's really interesting to see the efforts that have been made to try to preserve something of the, the earlier internet going forward.
0: Hmm. But as I said, that was just... It was just that line. That line there in the polygamers' interview was caught my attention, but maybe for a different reason. But nonetheless, so I thought I'd bring that up for a second. Let's see where what else is worth mentioning here with you. You know what? I remember one of the later times you were on the show. We talked at length about Makoto Shinkai, and first of all. I know I briefly asked you about seeing your name and you told me you loved it. That's You can correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's one of my favorite movies probably in the last 10 years.
0: Like through the early parts of version two, we talked a lot about being a Miyazaki, I mean, a Shinkai fan. And because I was lazy in the planning. But around that time, your name was uh, was out Weathering with you was about to come out. The others actually saw it at the film festival. I didn't. And and Shinkai was actually out for that. He he came out to Toronto for for the mm-hmm. TIFF TIF, uh, viewing of that. I think it was last year. And but in a previous time when we were you were on and I think it was around the time 5 centimeters per second came out. And you mentioned to and we mentioned it. And you mentioned to me while you liked it you felt you felt it was too repetitive or something to that effect. gosh and that was a
1: long time ago.
0: It was. It was. <laughs>
1: I stand by my words
0: whatever they were though. Oh no, it's okay because now I'm beginning to see what you said back then. I think
1: I think it might have been um like thematically repetitive. I feel like mm-hmm. that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. That he tends to hit on the same concepts and stories over and over again.
0: Yes, but, And in some ways he sort of did here too. But
1: yeah, it's the same. Like um, trying, trying, and just barely missing the person who is meant for you—kind of your soulmate. Like not not being able to to meet them hmm. is well. Being apart from them is kind of like a theme. I think that runs through a lot of his works. I just think that there's something about the way that it was executed in Your Name that is so special and so specific
0: to Japanese culture. That I think it was the timing too. He was able to put a little bit more emotion in because that was in the aftermath of that was in the aftermath of the Great East Japan earthquake.
1: Yeah, the aspect of it being a disaster movie as well is is really really I think sets it apart. That that and getting actually getting into the heads of each of the two characters means that it's yes. not about one character pining, usually like the male character pining That's, for is, somebody who is like an ideal.
0: That is a key key point. Now that you brought it up, because that was sort of the case the all with all the other stories.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's really obvious when. When it's done right, I guess in your name, it just like, you really, really feel what the characters are feeling and like the character, like it's a, essentially it's a body swap tale, um, which that in and of itself is not unique. No, but the, the, like the way that it forces each character to empathize with the other situation and get to know them in their circumstance is, yeah, just really interesting.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. See the the thing was those feelings I started to have that I said you had back then I started to have them strangely after watching Weathering with You.
1: I haven't seen that one yet.
0: You haven't seen it? it first of all, it don't don't let anything I say about it don't let me discourage you. I actually did like the movie. It's just now it's beginning to get formulaic for me, and and at times I can't totally put it into words. It just felt a little bit the same yeah so and maybe i can't say too much else until maybe you get the chance to see it and i know it'll come out it'll come it's set to come out later like pretty soon on home media they'll probably be streaming options through funimation
1: hopefully or, i would like or to see it something
0: to that effect so and i'll i'll get you i'll get you a beat on that if if that's the case okay whenever Great. that comes up uh Anyway, well, most of my list is gone, I guess. I'm just looking through all the notes I made before we came on. Let's talk about. E-sports. I, guess I,
1: I have a, a brief one. Um, so the theatrical release of the new made in abyss film was supposed yes. to be mid-March. And I have a friend who had tickets to go see it. And obviously um, that didn't happen. It's canceled. The, the release of the film internationally is on hold. I think it was released briefly in Japan. I'm not sure if it ever came back.
0: It's hinted that there was a, it was briefly in a couple theaters out West in Canada. Before. James hinted this, James hinted this in the episode and it, it was kind of lost on me, but you'll hear, you'll hear this in the, in the latest episode and I'll I'll double check the information or I can ask James to double check. Maybe it was
1: before all of this or are they continuing now with finally.
0: Or continuing, I think. Okay, but I think there's also an online release set as well.
1: Oh please, I'm dying! I need to see this. I, d- I saw I the
0: I saw the one last year, and I, I didn't really know much about the story, but it was interesting. I I found it quite interesting. That's all I can really say about it. James is more the fan. I've um,
1: I haven't seen the compilation films, but the TV series. Um, as far as I know, last time I checked, it's all on Amazon prime streaming. Oh yes. Okay. So it's not that long. It's maybe 12 to 15 episodes. So it's Mm -hmm. not that much to get through. And the art is just absolutely incredible. You liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good.
0: I will have to give it some consideration because I do have access to Amazon prime. I I mean, I used it to watch Wotakoi just for reference. Mm -hmm. And and i know that there was a live action version of the movie that apparently was shown at at the fantasia festival on which is of course online this year it was shown last night apparently hmm. so and i think that was supposed to have had a theatrical run but then the pandemic hit as well in japan so you know tell me tell as me what goes. the pandemic hasn't <laughs> messed up i this know year.
1: all my like conventions that i was going to appear at uh in the artist alleys like they all canceled They had three shows lined up this year yes i was you know what sad. and
0: i thank you for mentioning that i forgot to mention
1: oh no worries stuff
0: in the uh, for the stuff in the artist alleys w- which which conventions were you set to do
1: i was doing um toronto comic-con in the spring
0: um the fan expo, the fan expo minor show
1: yeah yep yeah. and then fan expo proper in the summer in toronto and then mm-hmm. uh forest city comic-con here in london in the okay. summer so well,
0: this week, I think this weekend should have been fan expo here. Memory yep. served me right. You are Every, correct. Oh boy. Wow. Yeah. Well, everything's gotten canceled. Let's add that to the list.
1: Yeah, I was gonna debut my book this year, um, just to like get it printed myself, pay for it, and then take it to the shows, but I decided to do the Kickstarter instead um to try to get like a very strong initial presence and also like fund the, the book's printing. And I'm going to
0: update the page just for reference since we're, cause we, it's a good way to end it off. Yeah. yeah. About, still about four, still 54. Yep. Doing yeah. Right it's, here.
1: it's a, in typical Kickstarter fashion, it was exploded, exploded out of the gate. And now has, now that we're five days in, it slowed down quite a bit. Um, you
0: have, you have funding. That's the key thing.
1: Yeah. W- way more than I need, which is amazing.
0: Well, how do you like? this is a one-off, right? This is a one-off story. It
1: is. Um, I always kind of considered it a completed story, pending reception, because oh. it was such a huge undertaking that I would would not do another one unless there was a um a a considerable interest in it. Basically, well, so we'll find it, out. Yeah, it seems like there is a considerable interest in it. So we'll have to see what the future holds
0: as far as that goes for Moon for di- for Moonstone Diadem. Yeah. Cool. No, this is this this is great to hear. So, well, I don't know. There isn't too much else to bring up, at least right now on the recording. Catch up maybe a little bit more afterwards. But I guess we'll end it off on say, by asking any contact uh, any particular contact information. You want to plug uh, want to plug it one more time. <laughs> Want to plug Moonstone Diadem one more time? I'll certainly put up the link for it. Yeah, certainly.
1: Uh, You can find it by searching for the Moonstone Diadem on Kickstarter. I'm on social media quite a bit. I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is Felmina Games. I think other than that, um, my personal website is artbyangela.ca. And that's where I have kind of a master list of all of the, the places I am on the internet and my gallery. So check me out there
0: congratulations
1: thank you thanks for having me on
0: well okay just quick just quickly before we end off if you have any questions and comments for this show anime roundtable at gmail.com is our email address we're on twitter and instagram at anime roundtable and anime is the show's archive its appearance has never changed but at least it's updated now And you can listen to all the past episodes there. Angela, it's great to hear from you again. It was a pleasure. Angela O'Hara, folks. And that's all we got. Thanks for listening. Join us again.